0: Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, welcome to our service. Typically, we are going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. And this morning, though, we have decided to take a break to look at Romans chapter 3 and verses twenty through 25. Normally we are in 1 Corinthians, and so this week we're focusing on the gospel, God's gift of righteousness. Now if you're an, LA's Laker, an LA Lakers fan, you might have been following them this season and been very disappointed because they started off the season 0-5. Even though they have two all-star players, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, multi-million dollar athletes, they are not doing well starting off this season. So I was thinking this past week, how could I help them? (laughs) You know, I grew up in Indiana. It's the basketball state. At least we like to think that. And uh, I played a little bit of basketball in high school. And I've been brushing up on my skills the past couple of years, and so I got an idea. What if, what if I put on my basketball shorts and my Los Angeles Lakers shirt, and I got my basketball shoes on and drove down to the Staples Center and got out and, when they had practice, knocked on the door and walked in and, and offered to, to start on the team? Now, what do you think they would say to that? Well, after they stopped laughing, they would probably kick me out, right? Yeah. Why is that? Why is it that they wouldn't want me on that team? It's yeah. Discrimination, I'm sure. <laughs> no, because I don't meet the standard, do I? Because I'm old, short. Thank you for that one. I heard that one. Short. <laughs> I definitely lack the professional skills of an NBA basketball player. I don't meet the standard. In fact, there's a lot of professions, jobs, organizations, where if you don't meet the standard, you can't get in. And friend, I'm here to tell you today that God has a standard in which we are to meet in order to enter into heaven. And that standard is perfect righteousness. It's perfection. It's holiness. The Bible uses the word righteousness to help us to understand who God is and what God's standard is for anyone who will be in his presence, anyone who will enjoy eternity with him, anyone who will fellowship with him. The word righteous means to be in a state or condition of moral uprightness. Righteousness is your entire inner person in life meeting the divine standard of God. It includes doing what is right. It includes what you think. It includes what you say. It includes your motive motives. It includes doing what is right. But really, it, it goes deeper than that. It is at the center of who you actually are. It's a condition of being right, being right before God. It's a life that is faultless and spotless. So righteous is a state or condition of moral uprightness. And the Bible declares to us that God is righteous. God has been, God always will be, perfect, holy, good, absolutely right. He does what is right. He is always in a perpetual, eternal state of moral uprightness. And it's not just a part of who he is. Righteousness is who he is. It encompasses every part of who he is. Psalm 145, 17 says the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Every motive of God, every decision of God, every work of God is right. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness, which is his his character, righteousness and justice And that's his judicial response because of righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So the foundation for God's throne and his decisions is his righteousness and his justice. And because God is righteous, therefore God will enforce justice. We have an election this week. We will put different individuals into different offices, and to the degree that person is righteous is to the degree that they will enforce justice. And the reason really why we see a world full of a lot of injustice is because we have a lot of unrighteous people. But God is righteous, and therefore God will hold people to his standard of righteousness and will enforce justice. Justice, And you might not see it right now. You might say, I, I, why is it not showed up yet? But it will come. God promises. God guarantees. And the scripture is clear that his standard for entrance into his glory, into his presence, is righteousness. Matthew 25, 46, the scripture says, the righteous are the ones who enter into eternal life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the standard right there. Now, as we we hear that, we recognize what? That we aren't righteous. We don't have hope in our own self. And therefore, we need something from God. We need God to give us the gift Of righteousness. This morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 3 verses 23 through 25 that tells us about the gift God gives us of being justified, being declared righteous by his grace. And this is really what this text speaks about, and that is that God is righteous and you are unrighteous, therefore you need to receive God's gift of Jesus' righteousness. God is righteous, that's who he is, and you are unrighteous, that's who we are, and therefore you need to receive God's gift of Jesus' righteousness. So you see who God is, who we are, what God does, he offers a gift, and what we must do, we must receive. And so look at verse 23 of, Romans chapter 3, Romans three twenty three. This is our scripture for today. Let me read it in its entirety. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, As a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. First of all, from this text, notice who God is and notice who we are. In fact, if you read through the entire chapter, Romans chapter 3, in fact, Justin earlier read through a section of it, you'll notice that God's righteousness is throughout this entire chapter. Five times. In Romans 3, God is called righteous. Verse 5, verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, verse 26. Over and over and over, we are inundated with the truth that God is morally upright and he's perfect. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 23, and we see that we are not perfect. Verse 23, for all have sinned. In other words, we are unrighteous and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, now you see another attribute here, the God's glory. You see God is righteous and now God is glorious. What is God's glory? Well, God's glory and God's righteousness are similar, but they are different. The glory of God is the, the wonder and splendor Of who God is. It's like if you could. If you could put it all together. What would come out. Is the glory of God. The glory of God is the wonder. And the splendor of who God is. The glory of God is really what. Radiates forth. From the character. Of God. So God is righteous. And therefore. What comes forth from that. Is the glory of God. God, because God is righteous, because God is holy, because God is good, and all of that to infinity, therefore God is glorious. Think of it, think of the attributes of God like nuclear fission. And nuclear fission, all of these atoms come together and they detonate, resulting in the glory of intense energy. Scorching heat and blinding light. Think about God's attributes as God's infinite, holy attributes harmonize together his righteousness, his love, his wrath, his omnipotence. That's his all power, his omniscience, his his omnipresence, his sovereignty. As they all come together, the sum total of all of who God is burst forth. glory. It's like if you were to be able to gaze into heaven, the righteous God would be on his throne and coming forth from God's righteous presence would be the holy radiance of his glory. Your ears would be deaf with the praises of trillions of angels Crying out, glorifying God. Your eyes would be blinded by the intensity of the wonder of his glory. Your whole person would be overwhelmed with the glory of his presence. And your soul would be crushed with the glory of his perfections. And you would fall down in shame because of your sin. And that's what he's saying in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned. That means we've missed the mark. We've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. God really wants us to get this point. And so if you look in Romans chapter 3, look at verse 10. Verse 10 through 18, Paul quotes Verse after verse in the Old Testament to to show us that this is God's opinion. God is righteous and we are unrighteous is not Pastor Ben's opinion, or just some someone's thought, or maybe even just the Apostle Paul's opinion. This is God's opinion, and so starting in verse ten, he says, "As it is written." Well, where is that? Well, it's in the Old Testament, and so he says in in verse ten. As it is written, quoting Psalm 14, none, that's no person, none is righteous, no, not one. And then he goes through and he quotes verse after verse from the Old Testament. At least seven verses here from the Old Testament are quoted. And his point is that God wants you to know that the message of the whole Bible is God is righteous and you are unrighteous. Usually this is where people object and say, well, but I keep most of God's laws. Like, I'm a pretty good person. They like to bring up the the commands of God to defend themselves and to prove that I'm not as bad as, you know, you're saying I am. One day, the Bible speaks one day of a man who met Jesus. We know him as the rich young ruler And this was a man who was wanting to know from Jesus, what does he have to do to gain eternal life? Like, what are those righteous deeds that he has to do? And this man, likely, since he was a ruler, was probably a ruler in a synagogue, much like a pastor would be. So he was probably some type of spiritual leader. He was definitely important. He thought he was a good person, and he came to Jesus, and he wanted to display to Jesus how wonderful he thought he was how righteous he thought he was he even said to jesus oh i've kept god's law from the time i was a child he used god's law to say look at god's law here and it shows i'm a good person but jesus disagreed in fact the law of god shows us the exact opposite it shows us that we're unrighteous And the end of that story was this man hung his head. He walked away from Jesus in sorrow because Jesus did not agree that he was righteous because this man could not attain eternal life by trying to be good enough. And everyone around was shocked. In fact, someone even exclaimed, how can a man like this How can we be saved if a man like this can't even be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man, it's impossible. In other words, a human cannot be righteous enough to get into heaven. He says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the point is, is that even before Jesus, there were people who tried to defend themselves quoting God's law. The most prominent laws of God are the Ten Commandments. In fact, he brings that up in verse 19. Someone says, well, I'm, I'm not unrighteous. or I'm not as bad as you think I am. And look at verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. Paul argues, now we know that whatever the law says, what's the law? Well, there's a lot of laws of God. But think about the Ten Commandments of God. It speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. In other words, what's the purpose of God's law? It's so that you would close your mouth and stop saying how righteous you are and that you would recognize that you are accountable to the holy righteous God. That every one of us will die someday and we will stand before God and we will give an account for everything in our life. Every internet search, every bitter thought, every careless word, every eye roll, every huff and puff and grumble. We will give an account to the righteous God. Many people like to think God's laws will prove their righteousness, but God's laws... Do the opposite. They prove he's righteous and we are unrighteous. In fact, look at verse 20. For by the works of the law, what's the works of the law? Trying to obey God's law. For by the works of the law, no human being. Who does that include? Everyone. That includes the Pope, that includes pastors that includes presidents, that includes you and me, no one will be justified, will be declared righteous, will be guiltless, will be right before God since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's through God's law that we recognize that we are unrighteous. In my email this past week, I received an email from the CME Valley Police Department, and I'm sure you get them as well. They give reports of what's going on and see me and things that happened. And the police notified us that there was a man who drove down Los Angeles Avenue at about 9.40 in the morning, and he drove at 90 miles an hour. Nothing uh, nothing tragic happened. But they were warning us that that could result in someone losing their life. I mean, just imagine if someone was crossing the street and that 3,000-pound vehicle was charging down the road at 90 miles an hour and there was a child crossing the road. That child, if he was struck, would die. And I want you to imagine that didn't happen. I want you to imagine something like that would have happened. And this young man was arrested, and he was brought before a judge. And he goes before the judge, and the judge says, well, here's the law, here's what you did. And the man says, well, I, I usually do the speed limit. I mean, get that law up there, judge. Go ahead, bring that law up. Okay, the, the law is you have to go this fast, and you, and, and judge, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually obeying that law. So that, that law shows that I'm a good person. Is that how it works? Absolutely not. It's the other way around. The judge says, this law shows that you were reckless and that you deserve punishment. Friend, I think that's sadly how many people treat God. Oh, God, here's what the laws are. This should get me out of this, right? God says, no, no, actually, my laws show that you are unrighteous. In fact, I just want us to consider as we finish up this last point, fin- consider God's commands. I want you to just think through the commands of God, particularly these 10 commandments. Think about how righteous God is. I mean, think about, you shall have no other gods before me, but you shall not make or worship graven images. Is God right to say that we should honor him above everything else? Absolutely. Like, he is the sovereign God. He created us to glorify him. But we have not responded in worship of God. Think of all the other things we've put before God. Think of how we've loved ourself and loved our toys and our pleasures and actually exalted them above even the worship and honor that God deserves. And so even these commands show us that we're not righteous. Or how about you shall not take God's name in vain. God's name represents his righteousness, the, the wonderful righteous attributes of God. And how many times have we hit our hand and we said God's name, but we didn't say it in praise? We took it in vain. We, we said Jesus Christ's name. We Said, oh my, and we said God's name, and we didn't do it to honor his name, to value his name as righteous. But in unrighteousness, we defamed his name. Or how about the fourth law, keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We are to, and I think even in a New Testament context, to set apart this day unto the Lord to set apart ourselves under the Lord to gather under the the preaching of his word to to be with God's people and how many though treat Sunday as a me day it's sports day it's just for my family day it's a vacation day but God's law said this is actually his day and this law shows us that God is so righteous that we should value that day. This, this law shows us that we are unrighteous. sometimes even when we on the outside, pretend like we're valuing His day, we sit in a service like this, and our hearts, our hearts could be full of hypocrisy. Or how about God's fifth law? Honor your father and mother? This shows that God is righteous and that He has given us authority, and that's a blessing from God. But yet we spurn authority, don't we? And, and, and most egregious, we've spurned his authority. Or how about the sixth law that God says that he's made us in his image and therefore we're not to murder people. And again, we think, well, <laughs> I probably haven't murdered anyone. Hopefully not. But this isn't just about killing someone. This is about hurting, devaluing God's Special creation, those made in his image, those are humans. This is, this is speaking words that tear down. This is hurting people with your actions. And the worst you could do, obviously, is killing someone. But God is righteous. And we are unrighteous. Or how about the seventh command, do not commit adultery. God is a God of covenant, faithfulness. And this, this law shows that God is righteous in his covenants. And he has given us really the most special human covenant is a man and a woman coming together in marriage. And we are to be faithful in that covenant. But when we desire and when we look for intimacy and sexual gratification outside of the bonds of that covenant, we are showing we are unrighteous. The eighth law is that you shall not steal and God is righteous and that he gives us what we have. And we're unrighteous in that many times we like to take what's not ours. He shall not lie and this shows us that God is righteous and that he tells the truth. Everything God says is truth and we're unrighteous and that we like to fudge the truth. Maybe say something that's somewhat true but a little bit of a lie to get an advantage. And the last command is that God provides for us And yet we are discontent in that. And here's the problem, my friend. On the day that we stand before God, and when he judges you based upon his laws, will he find you innocent or guilty? Will he bless you as righteous or condemn you as unrighteous? You see, God is righteous. And therefore, the justice of God will give each unrighteous person, what they deserve. What do they deserve? Separation from God for eternity. Because that's what justice demands. And then the next point we have here is God is righteous. You are unrighteous. Therefore, and this is the hope. This is, this is the joy. <laughs> you need to receive God's gift of Jesus Righteousness. So, who is God? He's righteous. Who are we? We're unrighteous. What has God done? What does God do? He justifies. What must we do? We must believe. There was a man named Martin Luther who, over 500 years ago, read through this text of scripture. Initially, he was confused by the righteousness of God. Martin Luther was a priest in the Catholic Church in Germany, and the the righteousness of God perplexed him. I mean, he was devout. He prayed every day and fasted and even went without, sometimes not even using a blanket and shivering in the cold in hope that he could be righteous enough to earn God's favor. He tortured himself. So much that he said, if anyone could earn righteousness from God by being a monk, it was me. But he knew in his soul that he could never be righteous enough. And so he was studying one day the, the book of Romans, and the light came on. And he understood the truth of these verses right here. And he said, it was like the door of my soul was open to paradise, and I walked on in. And friend, it's my hope this morning that you will understand verses 24 and 25 and the, the heart, your heart will be opened to the truth of this passage and will be like walking into paradise. These are some of the best verses, best words ever penned. Verses 24 and 25. Notice verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Notice that word justified right there. This word shares the same root word in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. Shares the same root word in Greek as righteous. If I were to really mess up the English language, I could say it like this. We are righteousified. But that's not proper English, so we're not going to say that. But justified means that God declares you to be righteous. The word righteous is a noun that means to be in a state of moral uprightness. The word justified is a verb that means to declare someone to be in a state of moral uprightness. So righteousness is a condition and justified is a declaration. This is a courtroom word right here. This is the word that every defendant longs to hear as he stands before the judge. I mean, imagine someone walking into a court and they're shackled by the the chains of their guilt and they hang their head in shame knowing they deserve to be sentenced for their crimes. This is how each of us stand before God. As a criminal stands before a judge, what he really wants to hear is what? You're not guilty. You're free to go. And so what this verse is telling us right here, this word is telling us right here, is that God declares people not guilty. They're righteous. In fact, that word there is a passive, justified as a passive, which means it's something that God does to you. It's in the present tense, which means this is something that you need right now. It's not like, well, after I die, I hope that God will declare me righteous. Nope. This is, a, this is something you need right now. And notice it's something that God alone can do. And God does it and offers it as a gift. Notice verse 24. And are justified by his grace. God's grace is his loving work that we don't deserve. By his grace as a, and what's that next word? gift we all love gifts don't we We we're justified by his grace as a gift well what's a gift It's something that's freely given to you free of charge it's it's something bestowed voluntarily without expecting compensation it's a it's a husband that thinks about his wife and what she would really want and he writes a note saying i love you and then he goes out and buys expensive earrings, puts it in a box, wraps it up, gives it to her, and she opens it up, and she receives the gift. Now, what would you think of a husband that did that, and he said, you know, I have a gift for you, and if you make me really good meals this month, I'll let you have them. Or, or you know what, it's probably about $500 for this, these earrings. And so if you pay me back, I'll let you wear them. Now, if you were a husband and you ever did that, that would be foolish and dangerous. <laughs> and, and no longer would that gift be a gift, right? I mean, when is a gift not a gift? When you have to pay for it. It's a wage, it's something you're working for. And that's just how many people treat God. They treat God as as if he's some kind of boss we work for, and hopefully we can earn enough to be able to get into the next level. That's not how it works. God offers a gift. It's something we cannot earn. In fact, there's only one person who could earn that gift, and that is God himself, and he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. So verse 24 says, we are justified. God declares us righteous by his grace as a gift. So it's something you cannot earn. You can't pay for it. It's something that's from God. It's by God. It's through God. It's provided by God. see, the universal problem humans have is they think that they need to do something to earn righteousness before God. Think about this. Every religion in the world has some type of way they try to earn something from their God. Islam, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Catholics, even some Protestants. Right? It's like if, I, if you pray this and do this, you know, count these beads and pray this, then God will forgive you. If you go to this priest and you sit before him and you, you, t- you tell him your sins, like he'll forgive you. If you get baptized, God will forgive you. Or or maybe if you just try to be good enough, come every Sunday, maybe give a little of the offering. And people think if I do those things, then God will like me more and maybe God will let me into heaven. And they take the gift of God and they trample it under their foot. That's not how God works. You can't pay God off to get into heaven. God doesn't barter. He doesn't sell righteousness to really good people. He doesn't bid it out to the most religious. No, right here he says he gives it as a gift to whom? To sinners. And this gift is absolutely the best gift you could ever receive. I mean, have you received some pretty good gifts in your lifetime? If someone gave you a million dollars, would that be a pretty good gift? If someone gave you their inheritance that was worth far beyond that, would that be a pretty good gift? Friends, this is a gift that far surpasses any gift you could ever hope to have. In fact, this gift is better than being forgiven of your sins. It's a better gift than going to heaven, because this is not just forgiving your sins. It's not just getting into heaven. It's a gift of God no longer viewing you as a sinner, it's a gift of God viewing you as one who is righteous because you now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we spent, what, 10, 20 minutes talking about our sinfulness. How can God declare us righteous who are unrighteous? And that's what the rest of the verse talks about. Look at verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift through, through the redemption of, That is in Christ Jesus. You see, the price of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God forever. And Jesus paid that price on the cross. He is the eternal one who became man. And when he died on that cross, God punished him with eternal death. Eternal death is the sentence each one of us deserves, and Jesus died that death on that cross in our place. Look at verse twenty-five: Whom God, so Jesus, put God, for, uh, Jesus was put forward by God as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation is a word that means to absorb, to satisfy wrath through an offering. It's a picture of the Old Testament where you have a a family or a a man who brings a lamb and he puts it on the altar and he sacrifices and that, that lamb dies in his place for the sins of him and his family. As Jesus hung on that cross, friend, he died for our sin. He died in our place. People mocked. Soldiers spit on him, the sky was darkened, the earth shook, devils danced. Jesus suffered and even prayed for those around him that they would find forgiveness and the Father's mercy. While Jesus died, he suffered on that cross, the Father showed his love to all of us. By punishing his righteous, eternal son with the eternal damnation of hell that you and I deserve. I mean, God demonstrated his love by pouring out wrath on his son. And think about that. At the same time, God was loving sinners to the greatest degree possible. God's love was to the greatest degree possible as he loved sinners. God was also damning his son with wrath. With the wrath that extended to the greatest degree possible. So God's wrath was poured out upon Christ at the same time God's love was demonstrated through that why did that happen well he paid the debt for our sins in full he was sentenced to eternal death and he paid it all if he was sentenced to a hundred years in prison he would have he would have taken uh, he would have spent a hundred years in prison if he was sentenced to ten lifetime sentences he would have spent 10 lifetime sentences, but he was sentenced to eternal death, and therefore he completed the whole sentence on that cross. He died, and he rose again. And he has a gift that he offers to us. God has a gift he offers to us, and it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I got two books from the library back there, and I thought I would use these books to illustrate something to you this morning. I want you to think about your life. Just think about your soul. God has created each one of us with a soul that's eternal, that will last forever. And let's pretend my hand represents your soul. God has also given you a life. You, everyone has a birthday and then everyone has a death day. So we'll, we'll pretend this book represents your life and Everything in between represents everything you've ever thought, done, said, every motive you've ever had. What do you think fills up our life? Well, according to the scripture, it's unrighteousness. It's unrighteous thoughts and unrighteous motives and deeds. And so think, we think about our life, we, we live, we're born, we live, and then we will die. And, and, and many people feel the weight of their sin, right? They feel guilty about yelling at their kids, and they feel guilty about... About cheating on their wife and they feel guilty about lying on their taxes and they they feel that weight of sin and so they they think to themselves why well, I, I gotta turn my life around so they turn their life around and but friend where is their sin still or they say you know i, I just gotta turn over a new leaf and where is their sentence still or they say well i'll just i'll just try to cover it and maybe that's but see the problem is friend is that your sin is still there And and what you need is you need your sin to be removed and you need to be gifted something else. And that is righteousness. The Bible says that Jesus is the eternal God. And he came as man. As a man, he had a a birthday. He was born of a virgin, a miracle of God. And he had a death day. And between there, he lived every day in perfect righteousness. In fact, there was a number of times that his father declared from heaven, this is my son, I'm pleased with him, he's righteous. And so Jesus lived a righteous life and Jesus died on the cross. And as the Bible, as Jesus died on the cross, God the Father was was punishing Jesus for sin, but it wasn't his own sin. Bible says in First Peter 3:18, "For Christ also suffered once for sins. It doesn't happen every Sunday on mass. It happened one time in history. God poured out his wrath upon Jesus. Why? So that the, He did it so that the righteous, that's Jesus Christ, did it for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit." You see, Jesus lived perfect life, and he died in our place. And friend, what, what, what we need is we need to be able to have Christ's righteousness on our behalf. So the question is, how do we have Christ's righteousness transferred to us? I mean, does it automatically happen? Well, the Bible doesn't say that, no. So what happens? How, how do I have my life, my sin removed, and then Christ's righteousness in my place? Well, the text of Scripture tells us that here this morning. I'll put it up on the screen here. Romans 2.22 says, The righteousness of God through, what does it say? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 2.25, it's to be received. This justification by faith is received by faith. Romans 2.26, God is the justifier. He's the one who declares someone not guilty, He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, God is offering you a gift. And when God gives you the gift gift of being justified, when God the Father looks at your life, what does he see? He sees Jesus Christ. He sees his righteousness. And when you die and you stand before God and you stand before the judge and he says, okay, did you obey my laws? And you say, well, here's my life. And he goes, well, you, you obeyed perfectly. Well, why is that? Because this isn't your life. This is Jesus Christ's. This is his righteousness. This is his birth and his life and his death in your place. Enter into my glory. You see, each one of us must receive the gift of Jesus' righteousness. And it's by faith. It's not by your works. Not by you trying to be good enough. It's by you putting your full dependence upon Jesus Christ. You know, you can be offered a gift and you can reject it. Maybe you have done that someday. Someone's given you something and you say, well, I don't think I want that, you know, and you you reject the gift. You don't, you can't make someone take a gift. God's not making you take this gift right here. You must receive. And so here's the question for you. Have you received this gift by faith? You say, well, I think I think it's true. No. This, this isn't just like something you think in your head. This is saving faith. You see, you, when you get on, a, on an airplane, you have airplane faith. You want to say it that way, right? In other words, you put your full dependence on that plane, and you, you believe it will take you to the next destination, and you won't die. When you get in your car out there, you'll have car faith, right? You'll get in that car, and you, you believe it's going to start up. It's going to take you where you're going to go. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, it's saving faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It means your entire life, your entire soul is given over to him. And you say, Jesus, I trust you're the Savior, you're the Lord, and you're the only one who can forgive me. So the question, friend, is are you believing in Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head with me and pray?